So we're going to look at the book of Philippians. Let me just give you some context if you don't know. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. If you don't know who Paul is, um, Paul is an incredible man of God, but before he had a, a transforming encounter with God, he was known as Saul, and he was one of the greatest persecutors of Christians uh, ever known to man. And so we see this incredible transformation of Saul, the Christian persecutor, to Paul, the mighty evangelist and church planter and warrior for God, who then went on to write over half of the New Testament. And if that doesn't fill you with courage, that it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, but that God can use anyone, then I don't know what will. But God is amazing and his grace is sufficient for all of us. And so God can use you no matter what your past, no matter what your background, no matter what you've been up to, God can use you. And so God used this man, Paul. He sent him out with a mission to raise up leaders, to lead people to Christ, to plant churches. And so this church in Philippi was a church planted by Paul. 20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection, 10 years before this letter was written. And so as you, as you look through and read through the, the book of Philippians, it's four chapters. And we're going to be studying this over the next four weeks. So I encourage you, just pick up your Bible and read four chapters. It will take you 20 minutes max, okay? Pick it up. Read it so that it is in your head, ready for the next four weeks as we study this book, this letter from Paul. And there is an unmistakable theme that rises to the top, that runs throughout this letter to the church in Philippi, and that is the theme of joy. <clears throat> You'll actually see the words joy or rejoice or something similar at least 19 different times throughout this short letter. And so you see this, this just massive joy bubbling up inside of Paul as he is writing this letter. And he's writing this letter from prison, just to give that clarity. So this man is sat in a, in a horrible place, in a horrible condition, and yet God is still bubbling up within him this sense of joy, this sense of enthusiasm, this sense of passion for God's people. And I heard this this week, this acronym of joy, Jesus, others, you. And I think that's quite a cool picture of how we should be living our lives, that actually Jesus should be first and foremost in our life, and then we should be putting others above ourselves. Jesus, others, you. I just thought that was pretty cool and catchy. I'm not going to preach on that, but I'll sit with you and hopefully you'll remember that. Sometimes things like that are, are easy to remember. They stick in your head, and so you'll probably get home this evening and think, what did John preach on? And all you can remember is that, joy. And that's fine if that's what God wants to say to you. That's cool. Um, so yeah, like I said, Paul is in prison writing this letter and I spoke about it, didn't I, a few weeks ago when we looked at the subject of ripple effect. And I just wanted to remind you of that so that as we read through this letter, as we read through this book, that you're viewing it through the lens of the man penning this letter is in prison. That he is in Rome under house arrest. He is not sitting on a beach tanning himself. He is not surrounded by friends having incredible food and wine. He is in prison. He is in bondage. He is in a tough place. And so as we read this letter over the next few weeks, I just want you to remember that. Because that's really important that you can see and remember that he is not in a good place when he's writing this letter that is filled 
with joy. Amen? So turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, shame on you. It will come on the screen. So we're reading the first 11 verses of Philippians. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love that. He's expressing this love that Jesus has for us. How I yearn for you. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. I love how Paul opens this letter, how he begins this letter to the church, that he comes from a posture of prayer, that he's beginning with prayer and he begins with thanksgiving and he begins right at the outset filled with joy. It's my joy, it's my pleasure, it's my delight to pray for you. And so right from the outset of this series that we're going to go into over the next four weeks, if you're feeling low this morning, if you're finding yourself in a place of uh, confusion or you're struggling with something or you've got a, a challenge in your life that you, you are unsure about how you can break through it, how you can get past it, how you can battle through it, I want you to look to Paul for how you should respond with thanksgiving and with joy. You know, I don't think that Paul, given the choice, would have chosen his circumstance right now where he's writing this letter. I don't think he would have chosen to be in prison. And so how many of you, I wonder, have something in your life that you are sitting in right now that you wouldn't have chosen? That you find yourself in a situation and you find yourself facing something and you find yourself dealing with something, but actually you wish that it was different. You wish it wasn't this way. This, this is how it is, but it's not how I would choose it to be. And you know, we all go through seasons where we wish it wasn't like it is where we wish that God would step in, where we wish that God would intervene in our situation, that he would bring about some change that means that we don't have to be here any longer, that we don't have to face this any longer, that we don't have to battle this any longer. You know, we're just, we're never quite satisfied, aren't we? 
When you were younger, when, certainly when I was younger, I always wanted to be older. I'm a younger sibling, and so when I was hanging out with my brother and we were with other people, he was always doing things that I wasn't quite allowed to do. And so as a, as a young kid, I was always wanting to be older so that I could get involved in what it was they, they're doing, get, I could watch the things that they're watching, that I could go the places that they were going. And then as you get older, what happens? Oh, how we long to be younger. Oh, how we longed. We're just never quite satisfied with, with how things are. And whether that's to do with your, your financial position, with your possessions, with your relationships, whatever it might be, I think sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we're just not quite satisfied. But what I want to do this morning is just pull out three points from this passage that we've read that will help us in moments where we wish that God would intervene where we wish that God would bring about a change, where we wish that God would step into our situation and our circumstance. And the first is this. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Because I guarantee that when you remember what God has done for you, joy will begin to bubble up inside of you. When you remember what God has done in your life so far, you will find that joy begins to rise. Remember that time when God healed my friend. Remember that time when God resolved that that financial struggle that we were facing. Remember that time that God brought back that family member who had turned away from God for so long. Remember that time where God showed up in that situation in my life and demonstrated his goodness and his faithfulness once again. Remember what God has already done. For our guys who have just been away in Bradford, remember that moment in worship where the Holy Spirit fell and you could sense his presence. Remember that moment where we were stood arm in arm with our brothers in Christ, stating that this is how we fight our battles, not alone, but with others. Remember what God has done already. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Thankfulness produces joyfulness. So if we can only remember what God has already done and we can be thankful for what God has done, joy will begin to rise within us. And so if we find ourselves in a place where we're feeling hopeless, where we're downcast, where we're confused about what is going on in our lives, and actually we just need to remember what God has already done. Who knows it's so easy to forget what God has done. In the moment, you're like, oh my goodness, God, you are so incredible. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for bringing this change. Thank you for bringing that miracle. Thank you for bringing that healing. And in the moment, you are just filled with joy and awe and wonder at the incredibleness of our God. But then as time goes on, as time goes on, we sometimes forget what God has done. We sometimes lose track of those moments where he's intervened and where he's shown up. And so we find ourselves just kind of, oh, 
I'm feeling a little bit challenged right now and, and I don't know how I'm going to get through it. But then when we remember that time when we faced a different struggle and God showed up, then we can be like, ah, oh, I remember now that actually in the moment, I didn't have a clue what was going to happen. In the moment, I had no idea what God was going to do or how this situation was going to pan out. And then God showed up. And then God showed up and he was faithful through it all. So when you're facing challenges, when you're facing struggles, remember what he has already done. Begin to count your blessings, if you will. Because maybe the reason that you're feeling that way is you've forgotten all that he has already done. We need to remind ourselves time and time and time again of the goodness and the faithfulness of God because he is the same yesterday, today and forever. What he's done in the past, he can do in the present and he will do in the future. You can be sure of that. You can be absolutely certain of that. That God is good, that God is for you, that God loves you and he wants the best for you. And so when you find yourself in a situation, remember what God has already done. Remember what God has already done. You know, I don't like every situation that I find myself in, just like I'm sure you don't, just like Paul certainly didn't in this moment, but when I look back at what God has done in my life, when I look back at all those times when God was faithful to me, to us, it fills me with joy. It builds faith within me to have the confidence and the boldness to believe that he will do it again. And you know, joy isn't just a woolly feeling. It's not just something that makes you feel nice and warm and cozy. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so what that means is that when you're facing challenges and when you're going through difficulties and when you're feeling like you just want to shrivel up and hide in a corner, we need to find joy because it's through that joy we can have the strength to face what it is that's in front of us. So we need to look back at what God has done. And to be thankful for that and allow the joy inside of us to bubble up and to fan that into flame once again so that we can have the strength to face what's ahead of us. Maybe you're feeling tired. Maybe you're feeling weak. Maybe you're feeling exhausted and beaten down because of whatever it is that's coming against you. And you're saying, I don't have the strength to face today, let alone the strength to face tomorrow. But how do you find the strength for tomorrow? You remember God's goodness from yesterday. You remember God's goodness from yesterday. So we need to get thankful for what God has already done. We need to get thankful for what he's already done. You know, a heart of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude is not dependent on your bank balance or your diagnosis or your status in life or the praise that you have received for a job well done. It is not reliant on any of those things. It is dependent on a relationship with God because he is the only one that can build that, uh, that joy within you. He is the only one who, who we can look to and we can trust in 100% of the time. He is the only one. And so when you're feeling down, when you're feeling low, when you're struggling with whatever it may be, 
Remember what God has done in the past. And the second point is this. Look forward to what God will do in the future. Look forward to what God will do in the future. I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged by the theme that naturally ran through our centenary celebration, that that theme of our best is yet to come. And, And I know that that can be a cliche statement and that can be something that the preachers just kind of say to make you feel positive and make you feel good in the moment your best is yet to come and and I think that that can be true from time to time but I think just the the, the that service that we had and the number of people that spoke that hadn't communicated beforehand and the fact that each and every one of them brought that message home that says to me that God is speaking to us <clears throat> It says to me that he is declaring something over our lives, over us as individuals, and over us as a church. I believe that that was a prophetic word for us right now and not just some cliche in the moment. You know, recently we've been hearing words spoken over our church about the harvest that we are about to reap. And actually, the the harvest that we're about to reap is not only a harvest of what we've sown, but also a harvest of what has been sown by the people who have gone before us. And so we're going to reap the benefits of those who have gone before us. We're going to reap the benefit of other people who have sown faithfully into this church, into this town, into this community. And there's going to be a mighty move of God that is going to see this church flourish like we have never seen it before. And let me tell you, church, if you've not been here for that long, and I've only been here for, what, 12 years, and I have heard stories of this church that make me think, wow, of this church bursting at the seams, of this, per- this church uh, running conferences with hundreds of people, of this church reaching out into the community and getting into schools and speaking into the lives of children and young people and impacting our community. And I look at that and think, God, you're about to do something bigger than that. I hope that fills you with faith. I hope you're believing and praying for that too. And, you know, I believe that 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 moment in our centenary service where the church was packed, uncomfortably so almost, that that is a prophetic picture of this church and where we are heading, that actually we will be so full that it will feel so uncomfortable that there is no other option but to build something new, to move somewhere new, to find something that can sustain the growth that God is bringing. And I'm not just talking about growth in numbers, although that is nice. You know, in that moment, in that service, there was a passion in this place. There was a fire in this place. The Holy Spirit was moving in a way I've not sensed in a long time. And I believe that was a prophetic vision of where this church is headed. That we will be a church full to the brim of people on fire for God. That we will be a church that is full to the brim, that cannot be contained and so we need to burst out. We need to look forward to what God is going to do in our lives as individuals, in our church, in our community. I hope and pray that you are believing for that. That you are seeking God for that that you are trusting God for that. So look at what Paul says in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this. I love that. I'm sure of this. There is no doubt. There is no question. There is no query. There is no, hmm. 
mm, I think it might happen. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Church, we need to have an attitude of expectation. We need to have an attitude of expectation that God is about to move. We need to come to church on a Sunday expectant to meet with God. You know, if you walk into the doors on a Sunday morning, you're thinking, well, this is a nice place to be. I'm going to see some friends and catch up for a bit and have a coffee and sit through probably too long of a talk. You're not going to meet with God. But if you enter into this room with a heart that says, I am expectant to meet with my creator. That I am expectant to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. Then I guarantee you'll meet with him because he's here. Not just in this church, but that's what I'm talking about right now. He's here. And so if you're expectant to meet him, you will meet him. If you're expectant to hear from him in your quiet times, in your personal devotion, if you approach that with an expectation, you will meet him. You will hear from him. I am certain of this. We need to have an attitude that expects that God is about to move, that God is moving in me and in you and in this church. I love what it says in Romans 5. I say I love it. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I do love it. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. The Passion Translation says, even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence. Now, when you think about where joy comes from, I don't know about you, but I don't really think uh, first of difficult situations. I don't think, oh, I know where joy will come from. It'll come from the middle of a trial. It will come from that moment where I've just received a diagnosis that is hideous. It will come from that moment where I've just found out my friend has passed away. It will come from that moment where I've just lost my job. That is not the first thought that comes to my mind when I think, where is joy going to come from? And yet, Paul says, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of that challenge, you need to rejoice You need to celebrate. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. That's a challenge. We've got to have a joyful confidence. Why? Because we know, Paul writes, we know that suffering, that pain, that challenges, that difficulties produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character produces hope because there's purpose in our pain there's a reason for what it is that you're going through there's a reason for what it is that you're facing right now and I don't believe that God always brings about those situations but I do believe that he can use them for good I do believe that he can use them for good that he can grow you that he can shape you that he can mold you and he can challenge you so that you can be ready for what he's going to do next We need to get a joyful expectation because we know that what God starts, he finishes. The work that he began, he'll bring to completion. He is the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. 
So we need to get a joyful expectation in our hearts for what God's going to do next. Because he didn't bring you this far to then just ditch you and leave you for dead. He didn't bring you on your journey to this point to say, all right, I hope you enjoyed it. See you later. He brought you this far and he'll continue to take you the rest of the way. He is with us every step of the way. I don't know if anyone likes Lord of the Rings, um, but I, I love it. And in, in Lord of the Rings, we see uh, this journey that these, this group, the Fellowship of the Ring, go on. And there's this character, Gandalf. And he's an incredible, powerful wizard. And he seems to know everything that is going to happen. But what we see through this story is that he begins the journey with them. He gathers them all and he begins the journey. And then at certain points, he would just be like, right, I've got to go now. And he would disappear for what seems like weeks at a time, and then he would show up at the right moment and save the day. But that is not a picture of God. Because God doesn't bring us to a point and then leave us and go away and come back when we need him. God will bring us along the journey, and he will stay with us on the journey. And in the moments where we need him, he will be there. He doesn't need to show up. He's already there. He's already there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And so I want to encourage you this morning, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever challenge it is that you're going through, whatever it is that's the obstacle in your life, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get tired. Paul writes in Galatians, do not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap a harvest and our harvest is coming. The time is now for us to be reaping the harvest. I am sure of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So we need to remember what God has done in our lives. We need to get expectant. We need to get excited for what God's going to do in our future. And finally, we need to love what God is doing right now. We need to love what God is doing right now. <clears throat> Let me be honest with you for a moment. Let's get real for a, for a moment. I've got some bad habits. i got some bad habits that wind Ruth up something rotten. But I know that she loves me. <laughs> I know that she loves me. There was, you just didn't hear it. <laughs> I know that she loves me through it all. But there are many moments, many, many moments where she wishes I would stop even just for a day. I won't tell you what they are. She probably will. (laughs) I've got bad habits, but she loves me through it all. And, you know, I've said it before. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. We might not like what someone is doing, but we need to choose to love them anyway. We might not like what God is doing in our life right now. But we need to choose to love him anyway. We need to love him because we know that he is bringing about something for our good. And you know, love is the most powerful thing in the world. It's the reason why there are so many songs about love. It's the reason why there are so many movies that show that love conquers all. Because love is the most powerful thing in the world. And I don't think that Paul 
liked what God was doing in his life at this moment he was writing the letter. I don't think he enjoyed being in prison. I don't think he was reveling in his situation. But he loved God anyway. He loved God anyway. We don't have to like what God is doing in our lives, but we have to love him. We have to trust him. We have to hand over our lives and say, God, not my will, but yours. I don't understand this right now, but I trust and I love you. And it's then, I believe, that we can find joy in our circumstances. That we can find a joy in something that makes no sense. That we can find a joy in the confusion of what's going on around us. That we can find a joy in the pain and the suffering that we're seeing. That we can find a joy in spite of everything that we are carrying. But the truth is, the enemy will try and steal your joy. The enemy will try and steal your joy through any number of methods and strategies. And so we need to decide to have joy. We need to choose joy. We need to practice joy. I'm not going to let that person take my joy. I'm not going to let this circumstance take my joy. I'm not going to let my prison cell, whatever that looks like for you, steal my joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. That I can face anything with God on my side because he fills me with strength. I can face tomorrow with his strength in me, through his spirit working through me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so when we practice joy, even from our prison cell, when we pray with joy, even from our difficult circumstance, love begins to flow out of us. Love begins to flow out of us. Because one thing that's great about, about demonstrating and showing and choosing joy in difficult circumstances is that it confuses other people. That other people who don't know Jesus, that don't follow Jesus, look at you in your pain, knowing what it is that you're going through and seeing the smile on your face and seeing the joy that is exuding out of you. They're like, what is going on? You should be like bawling in tears right now. You should be curled up in a ball, rocking in a corner or something because of everything that is going on. And yet here you are singing God's praises, praying for other people, shouting with joy. Let's continue to read in, from verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That your love will abound more and more, no matter what it is that you're going through. No matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is that you are battling, that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
What is the fruit of righteousness? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. Always forget that. Joy. Joy is part of that. Joy is part of that. As I pray for you, Paul says, I pray that your love would abound. That it would give you, that it would give way, sorry, to deep knowledge and insight of what God has called you to do, of who God has called you to be. Let's love what God is doing. Even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand it, even if it confuses us, let's love what God is doing. Let's live a life of love. I heard a quote earlier this week and it it challenged me. It says this, if you're having a hard time seeing what God is doing in your life, celebrate what God's doing in someone else's. If you don't see or you don't like what God's doing in your life right now, celebrate what's going on in someone else's. You know, you've been applying for that promotion or you've been applying for jobs and it's just not coming. Celebrate your friend who just got promoted. Be their biggest cheerleader. I am so pleased for you. I am so happy for you. This is amazing. When you've been trying for a baby and it's just not happening and you're going through infertility processes, but your friends are having babies, celebrate that moment. Celebrate their joy. When your bank account is looking terrible and you're thinking, how on earth am I going to pay next month's rent or put food on the table? And yet your friend is celebrating because they've got that promotion. They've had that pay rise. They're they're flourishing financially. Celebrate them. Don't resent them. Celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives in spite of what you are going through. Let's choose joy. Let's choose joy, even when it's hard, even when we're struggling. Let's celebrate our neighbor's success. Let's let's rejoice for our friend's healing. Let's praise God for our brother's miracle. You know, you might look at our nation right now and think we're in a hopeless place. Things are not looking good economically, politically, environmentally. It's looking pretty, pretty grim out there, let's be honest. But God is doing something. God is doing something right now. We might not see it. We might not understand it. It might look confusing as heck to us all, but God is doing something right now in our nation. I was at a meeting earlier this week with some of the other churches from Lytham and this, uh, this guy was sharing something that was, that was just on his heart and he, he brought an article along from a newspaper that was written the, written the week after the Queen's funeral and the headline in this, news, this just secular, everyday, off-the-shelf newspaper was this, Britain is yearning for traditional Christianity. It went on to say, People don't want a dumbed-down version of the church. That's fascinating. Because we can sometimes think, oh, let's put on a seeker-friendly service and we'll, we'll make things feel a little bit less uh, weird. We won't allow people to speak in tongues in this service because we don't want to scare off the newbies. 
Let's just suppress what God's doing right now and make it feel like it's safe. But this is saying people don't want a dumbed down version of the church. Her funeral, it went on to say, was a remarkable moment in British history where in our age of unbelief, this traditional funeral drew one of the largest television audiences in history. And people were mesmerized by the religious elements of the service, not in spite of them. By them, not in spite of them. How amazing is that? God is doing something in our nation. Whether we see it or whether we don't, God is working. God is moving. God is about to bring something in our nation that we could never even imagine. But we don't see it. We don't understand it. We look at what's going on and we think, I don't know what's going to happen in the next year, month, day. It seems to be changing all the time. But God is moving in our nation. He is moving. We might not like what he's doing, but let's love what he's doing because we trust in him. Because we trust in him. Because we trust in him. Because he is faithful. He is good. Let's not forget what he's done. Remember his goodness. Remember his faithfulness. Let's look forward to what he's going to do. We're about to reap a harvest. We're about to see a mighty move of God. And let's love what he's doing right now in our lives, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Let's love what he's doing. And you know, I believe that when we find ourselves in that place of thankfulness, that joy will begin to rise up inside of each and every one of us and our love will abound. That our love will abound. Our love for God and our love for other people. Why don't we pray? Father God, sometimes you can be incredibly challenging. Sometimes we can find ourselves in places and situations and circumstances where we, we just don't understand what it is that you're doing, why it is that we are here, how it is we're going to get through it. But God, I pray as we continue to read through this letter that Paul penned from a prison cell, and we see the joy that he felt even in the midst of his circumstances. That, that God, we would catch some of that fire. That God, we would catch some of that joy and it would begin to rise up within us. And it would begin to pour out of every fiber of our being. That we would begin to express your joy and your love to those people around us. And they would look at us and think, what the heck is going on in your life? How do I get some of that joy? How do I get some of that love that makes no sense in the situation that you are going through right now? God, I pray that you would help us in those moments to remember what it is that you've done in our past. That you wouldn't let the, the, the darkness of what we're facing right now cloud the goodness of what you have done yesterday. God, remind us even right now, even right now, that the, the goodness and the faithfulness that you have shown to us to this point, you've brought us this far. 
And God, I pray that we would have an attitude of expectation and of excitement for what you're going to do in our future. Each and every one of us was put here for a time like this, that you have a plan and a purpose for all of us. And sometimes we can find ourselves in places where we just don't understand or we don't think or we don't feel like you can use us or you can do anything else with us. Right now, remind us that we are not too old, that we are not too young, we are not too poor, we are not too battered and broken, we have not done so much wrong in our lives that you can't do something incredible in our future. God, give us that joyful expectation of what you're about to do. That when we find ourselves in that valley moment and we find ourselves beaten down and broken, that God, you would help us to look up to the hills, that we would see the goal, that we would see the prize, that we would see the future that you have got planned out for us. Something that is far above anything we could ever ask or imagine. God, you are so faithful. You are so good. You are so awesome. We may have thoughts around where our life is going about what it is that you might do and we can get excited about that. But God, you're going to do more. You're going to do more. And we are going to be bowled over with awe for what it is that you have done for us. So for anyone in this moment that finds themselves in a, in a situation where they're just exhausted, lift up our heads. Help us to look forwards to what you are going to do with joyful expectation. And God, help us to find joy in the moment. Right here, right now. When we don't understand, when we're feeling confused, that God, we would find some joy.